Welcome to How to Be a Humane Leader Without Losing Your Job. Explore the wealth of experience and guidance in humane leadership for today's fast-paced business world. Get ready to lead with heart, supercharge your career, and engage with us on all major streaming platforms, including YouTube. I'm Chris Olerking, a Fortune 100 IT leader, along with Roberto Torres, a seasoned startup engineering leader. Today, we will discuss how coaching the Super Bowl is like being a humane leader. Well, are you game for this discussion, Roberto? Yes, I am. Very good. Well, you know, um, we've talked about how really uh, work, you should consider it being a team, not family. It should be more like a team because sometimes you've got to trade some players and you are coaching people. So it does have some uh, parallels to being like a, a Super Bowl coach, although, of course, being a humane leader is much more important. Uh, what did you see Sunday on that uh, Super Bowl that was like being a humane leader? Well, first of all, I think that the coaches who are right to the Super Bowl has to be or have to be the most uh, two things. The first one is strategic leaders, the ones who have created uh, certain strategies for the team are their hard skills, their soft skills as well, and uh, the achievements they had to accomplish, you know, to to become uh, such a such leaders. But in the humane leaders, I had to point out to get the best of their team, you know, to to get there. And for that, it's kind of uh, different words and divided by by a slash. It has to be a coach. You know, for them to understand what are the weaknesses of the team and turn them into strengths, as well as to be a mentor, even though that person might have not played in that position, but to understand uh, what are those of tiny, uh, tiny um, traits to turn them into uh, bitter traits, positive traits. So I think those kind of people have a lot on their mind. Yes, they had the strategic, yes, they have the humiliator, but all they have is a bond with their players, with their team, with the managers. In this case, in this case, defensive coach and uh, offensive coach. So I think it's a broad of uh, distinct features for them. Absolutely. And recognizing where their strengths and weaknesses is, what is what a humane leader does, right? Is find where, hey, you've got a strength, Roberto, in this area. Uh, you're really good at troubleshooting performance problems in the application. I'm going to play to your strength. And when we start to face these types of challenges, you're going to be my go-to guy. And I will most of the time go to you with that problem because I know you have success. But occasionally I may partner or give the ball to somebody else and have you show them or work with them more closely because then I'll have two people that as we get close to wrapping up the project in the late hours, maybe two people looking at things sometimes can solve that problem faster because you bounce ideas off each other. It's just not one 
lone player trying to solve the problem, you know, at hand. And I think that, you know, when you kind of do this analogy to sports, it helps you think about that while you can have some very top performers, key performers that are that are contributing a lot more than others, they can't play the game all by themselves. If you just had the quarterback in all by himself, he lined up against 13 other players, he's going to lose every single time. You know, he need he needs other guys there to help him uh, be successful. And as the coach, you need to make sure that the players realize that, right? That, yeah, you might, you might be as quarterback contributing a lot and, and you're getting a lot of attention, but realize that if you lose all the other players in the team, this project won't complete anywhere near on time and the outcome will not be what you're expecting. And the coach plays an important part of balancing uh, those egos, uh, the, the, the focus that each, each player is going to have on the team to the, to the overall success. And I think if you can identify those skills and find somebody you need to develop the skills in, in another player on your team. So again, like I said, application performance tuning and things like that, you know, it's really important to be continually developing those other players because you never know when your top player is going to decide to retire or uh, quit or you know, whatever. And so by having these backups, it'll make you a more humane leader because you can keep the success of the whole team moving forward, even if one of your top players isn't um, available. Yeah, indeed. One thing to fully understand is that sports teams, like the ones who play in the Super Bowl, and us were professionals. They do entertainment stuff, you know, they play sport for us to watch, and we, as uh, either of working at companies, regardless of the size, it is the same. We are professionals. So a humiliator has to not only understand, the, as you mentioned, the strengths, the weaknesses, but also to be in constant communication. So when a core team let's say uh, the offensive or the defensive uh, comes uh, back from the field because it has ended their shift, let's say, for example, you have to talk with them uh, to um, make them better, to understand what happened, if it was good or bad. If it was bad, okay, to show them. If it was good, to point out the good stuff, so and to keep them uh, rolling. It happens the same for the companies. We have one-on-ones with our team. We have uh, uh, meeting teams. So let's not try to be mechanic about, about this, but to show passion. What we people require is to have passion from our human leaders in order for us to uh, be part of that passion and to become better and to have this job, or any job, uh, to be much better and uh, with the least error possible. Yes, no, I, ab absolutely. And coaching continues to take place the entire time. There was uh, an incident where one of the players was screaming at the coach. And there's a lot of internet memes kind of talking about how, you know, this, this, 
one team player is screaming at the coach and the coach didn't um, correct him right then. He managed the situation, right? So sometimes you're going to have very passionate uh, players on your team who are perhaps going to be upset that the project isn't going as planned. They're very passionate about the application and maybe they start to yell and, and things. And you certainly want to uh, limit that in the office environment, bring the tone down. But you'll, you'll notice that on screen, that coach did not correct that player in front of everybody. I guarantee you there were some conversations one-to-one -one afterwards about how we can handle these kinds of differences of opinion, because it was primarily, um, my understanding is, is they're primarily kind of debating, hey, I should have been the person to do this on the project versus uh, somebody else who uh, was working on the project and didn't complete as um, expected. And so, yeah, you can be very passionate about that. But the humane leader, if you, if you get overly expressive and, you, and you're getting really, literally could be getting in somebody's face, that's inappropriate for the office. But correcting it in front of everybody unless there's a threat of harm immediately, correcting it in front of everybody is inappropriate. And the humane leader will bring you aside and say, Roberto, I know that database crash was terrible and the junior database admin was working on it instead of you. And I know, you know you're very passionate about your uptime metrics and this screwed it up, but look, this is a learning opportunity for that other engineer. And I want, you know, I appreciate your passion, but you can't go screaming in my face, you know, as we're coming close to the end of the project. You need to stay rational about this and think about it, Roberto. Now that the other engineer had this screw up and realizes that they need to be better at that, they will work even harder to improve, right? And that's what the humane leader, that good coach will do is use that breakdown where your player maybe got overly passionate about it and you don't want to kill passion right? You want them to be passionate about it, but you want to have boundaries about how they express it and what they do. And it's a learning opportunity for the humane leader. It's an opportunity for that player who lose their temper a little bit. And also an opportunity for the person who screwed up to maybe you use this person who is more passionate about it. Well, help me coach the person who didn't do as well. What, what did they do wrong that you would have done? Maybe you would have tried uh, something else in dev on the database before you implemented that change. Okay, Roberto, I know you really care about this. How about you coach the player that made the mistake in the database a little bit? Because we need two of you who are equally skilled in this database. And, and I think, you know, that these Super Bowl analogies can be very good because sometimes you can see where the humane leader, the coach, really did something wrong, or sometimes, in this case, kept his calm, kept calm about it. And I guarantee you there were some offline, not in front of the camera discussions about how that could go better, both ways. Because you can learn from that very passionate person too. Maybe that very passionate person had some good examples. But if you're screaming, the message usually gets lost. And I was impressed at how calm uh, he, he stayed. Oh yeah, yeah. Let me add something important to you. Uh, you contract, okay. You 
tell in private when you mention, okay, uh, in this one-on-one, but you congratulate to this person if they done something great in public. So everybody will permit it, permit with uh, this passion and they will they will feel compelled to do something more. That's the first one. And the second one is to understand as a humiliator that we are all different. Not everybody communicates the same. So maybe like this guy, Travis Chelsea, which bumped the the head coach, we did uh, try to communicate with that. Maybe other people will do something uh, different. Hey coach, I require to talk to you. No, this guy did that. So for, for us to understand is to differentiate the people who might be physical, you know, and the ones who might reach in a different kind of communication. But in this case, what happened was that the head coach kept cool because he was in the middle of the play. He cannot take up his time to address this situation. He had to, he was focused on something else. So as you mentioned, probably these two guys talk uh, something in, in between maybe plays and he chilled out the other one but he didn't knock him or he didn't uh, delegate um, excuse me minimize this situation maybe he talked as they have talked before so I think it's okay and uh, let me tell you something or let me ask you something the game was uh, really exciting. It was at first a defensive game, and then it switched to uh, uh, a more interesting game for those who cannot um, see or enjoy the defensive uh, setting. But they went to overtime. And uh, what I have seen and what I have read from the interviews is that one team had a strategy to overtime and the other team didn't. So do you think a humane leader requires to have a strategy for certain situations uh, let's put on to the um, to the workplace to a situation let's say for instance today is Friday and you gather the team and say oh my god I'm sorry guys we had to work whole weekend to deliver something really, really urgent to the business on Monday. Do you think a community has to have a strategy for this? Certainly, um, I think the degree of strategy required, they have to have something in mind. And I think it, it's a combination of the odds of the situation occurring and the magnitude, if it does occur, how important is it? So for some situations like that, I might just mention to the team, you know, if, if we're running behind, you know, we've got to get this finished before Monday morning. And so two weeks in advance, I'm telling you, you know, if we're not done on that Friday, we may have to work Saturday and Sunday of that weekend. And that might be the degree of planning and, and discussion with the team that I have if I think the odds are low and the, the challenges and the amount of time we'd have to put in over that weekend is low. However, if the magnitude of that problem is gigantic, there's huge amount of revenue at risk. We've uh, sent out lots of advertising that the go live is on Monday. And so there's just no way we can miss it. My contingency plan or strategy 
in the event we need that overtime is going to be much more detailed. Uh, we will, you know, have more formal discussions about what, who will accomplish when in that strategy. And I think that, you know, a seasoned humane leader has both a uh, experience level with those situations, has been in overtime a few other times, right? So it's not their first time having suddenly to have to, to work extra, but also they have a sense, and this part you just have to learn over time, right? Is, is that sense of what are the odds of it happening? What type of project is it? How seasoned is the team? How well will they react to the overtime? And so if you've got a team that has, quote unquote, in the world of IT, been to the Super Bowl multiple times, they've played in many games where there's been sudden overtimes, you might not need quite as much strategy. But if you're the coach who hasn't been to the Super Bowl as many times, hasn't won as many times, and your team, your team's experience with you as a leader is not as deep, right? It hasn't been as often. Um, yeah, you probably are going to need a much more detailed strategy, and it'll show if you don't, and you may not win the project. And I think that your analogy is correct, that a more experienced leader thought there was a probability that this could happen and had some contingency plans ready just in case. And maybe it didn't play out exactly as he thought it might have, but he had enough experience with problems right that he could help the team figure out what to do to still deliver the project uh outcome that they wanted and that's and that's the difference right is is getting that project outcome that you want you know what the final project outcome is and you've had enough experience that you know how much effort that's going to take so i'm going to warn you roberto if we need to do overtime that might mean 12-hour days, Saturday and Sunday, to make sure we're ready with this go live, you know, 9 a.m. Monday morning. And I've warned you and prepped you and said, these are the kinds of other things that we're going to do in preparation for that. Maybe we're going to bring in extra help. Maybe some of the other teams in the company, I'm going to ask them to help too. And we talk about that ahead of time. So then when we go into overtime, you're not surprised. You're ready. You understood. You know, your family knows you're going to be gone Saturday and Sunday you're you're ready to do it and and i think anytime you're kind of mentally prepared that that something might happen you'll perform better and if you're a team that didn't prepare for the surprise it will probably show <laughs> and it did oh, yeah yeah and also uh let me have, let me tell you something uh if we had this issue back in the mid 90s everybody will stick to that situation, to that urgency. And we have to work, but today, working with different generations, you know, uh, us, baby boomers, uh, we are baby boomers? No, we are no, Gen X. Gen X. Gen X, excuse me. We are Gen X, but also today, we are Gen X, working with millennials, working with centennials. There are different kind of, uh, a number of generations. So we have to have a strategy work in place to have for the whole team, but to address different generation institutions and identify previously uh, to talk with certain per, uh, kind of people who might 
be against or who might be willing but could hurt the whole team you know that the lotter the the momentum of the lotter so in that case we require to have something uh, ourselves and maybe find some um champions champions within the team who could act maybe uh, like captains of the of the tour and that Thinking also uh, as a sports analogy, you have the defensive and the offensive team. So if you had champions within the, those teams, those four, excuse me, um, you could find uh, that when you convey the message, those champions will get a higher and maybe talk one on one with with the team. You have a, a high number of members of the team. So I think that uh being strategic but also being tactic and to fully understand your environment and what is happening it will get you to uh, the results that you are achieving and to stop the problems or mini, mini, uh, minimize them mitigate them excuse me in order for you to be a more human leader in these types of situations Absolutely. You know, setting those expectations with those different generations very early on, well before the crisis is critical. And I, I personally sympathize with the millennials and, and everything. They've seen their parents put in a lot of overtime, you know, do the extra hard work and literally get laid off the next day kind of situation. So certainly they have every right to say, hey, why should I do this special effort and go into overtime? when you could dispose of me tomorrow. And so you need to recognize that, well, you shouldn't, oh, you shouldn't think like that. That's not an answer as a humane leader. They have every right to think that. So what are you doing as a humane leader that's different? Well, it's building up that long-term relationship. It's clarifying that there's risk reward. So, hey, you know what? You're choosing, you're not going to do the overtime. It's not, I'm not, a jailer, I can't force you to be there, but there's risk and reward. And those who contribute more, you need to have consistently rewarded the folks that put in the extra effort, put in the touchdown and, and get the ball across the goal line. If you haven't been consistently rewarding those players, then I personally, as the humane leader, why would you expect them to work overtime? You've not demonstrated that you're a good coach. You've not demonstrated and communicated the expectations and the rewards that go with delivering on those expectations. So it isn't, um, I think that something, you know, that you need that whole season to develop. It, it has to happen over the whole time. It can't be just all of a sudden we're coming down to the deadline and now I'm going to spring it on you that we're going into overtime and I need even extra effort and maybe you'll get a reward if we're successful. Yeah. I, you know, with my experience that I've been through now, even I wouldn't work that overtime. I, I would, nope, sorry. I've never seen a reward, you know, be given. No, I never got a parade. I didn't get to go to Disneyland, right? You know, <laughs> I think they still do that, right? You know, if, yeah. if you win the Super Bowl, I'm going to Disneyland. Um, so, so if I've, you know, experienced that, that it, the risk reward's not there, why would I give 100%? I think it's foolish as a humane leader to think that somehow 
you're going to convince people when uh, your your leadership has been poor. Oh yeah, and those are wise words. And people have to understand that being a humiliator is something. It's a not only a daily job for the, for the whole team, but for yourself. You cannot convey a message if you don't believe in it. You cannot tell other people we're going to no. You're going to work on wicked. No, it's not like that. We're going to work on wickets. I'm here, even though I might not be the one who's coding. I might not be the one who is uh, fixing or twitching the instances of the service, but I will be here. You cannot leave the team to their fate. You are a, a leader. A humiliator has to stick with the team, even though it doesn't add something to the project. They have to feel that you are one of them and they are one of you. So in order to be a humiliator, you have to um, to say what you're going to do and stick with that. Without a doubt. And, and I think we saw that over the weekend that that coach was very consistent, even though he never carried the ball an inch the whole game. His players recognized the value that he was contributing. He communicated well with what his expectations were. He had good plans. The players recognized that. And the outcome of the project was successful. And, uh, and I think as humane leaders, there are some things we can learn from those kinds of sports. Yeah, he did. Great. Um, with this, maybe we could do the wrap up. Certainly. Well, thanks for tuning in to another episode of How to Be a Humane Leader Without Losing Your Job. Apply today's insights to become a better leader. Are you a humane leader with a unique story? Join the conversation and inspire others. Reach out to us and maybe you'll be our guest. Talk to you later, Roberto. Bye-bye, Chris.